0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Forgecast. I'm Alex Norton, and I have with me Mike Pommer, who was my inspiration of the week last week. How are you doing? Hey,
1: how's it going, everyone? I'm Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Thanks for coming on to the show. But before we get into that, uh, we just have this quick message from our sponsor. And this week's Forgecast is buffing your ear ingots thanks to Nordic Edge. Everything you could possibly need to make the sexiest knives around can be found at their easy-to-use website, nordicedge.com.au. So give them a visit after the show to stock up. All right, so this week I've kind of just been focusing on a pair of liner lock knives that I've been working on that uh, sort of have all the bells and whistles on them. I've got um, fat carbon scales on them, Nordic Gold, cast Nordic Gold bolsters, which were even just doing bolsters in Nordic Gold was nightmarish. It's such a disagreeable material to work with, but... um, They were go my blades and I found it was, I only noticed them. They were so fine, but they were, I only noticed them when I got to 400 grit on the blades was it had very hairline spinal cracks on them, which is a common thing that can happen in Sanmai and go my blades due to the, uh, the way the different metals shift uh, during the quench. Uh, they were so hairline that um, it took 400 grit of polish for me to actually see them. And um, I, I tried grinding down and it was starting to go a little bit deeper than I was comfortable with, and so I chucked those blades away and I have replaced the blades with um, some wavy tiger mine from Baker Forge and Tool, which is actually, I think, better now because his tiger Mine, I don't know if you've seen it, is um, uh, layers of alternating copper, steel, and then bronze so Ooh, yeah uh-huh. no- i've seen that one yeah nordic gold is a technically it's like a bronze alloy it's closer to bronze than brass it is and so it's um the fat carbon scales are copper and carbon fiber so it it actually is very much in theme with the knife the rest of the knife so i think it ended up working out better to go to the uh the wavy tiger mine. so thanks coy for bailing me out of that one <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also picked up a sword forge. Um, I really wanted to try. I, I was very curious because Vivor, the brand that we've talked about on the show before, who are popping up more and more and more um, with all sorts of gizmos that you can get for metalworking, um, put out a sword forge. And I'm talking a triple burner stainless steel bodied sword forge for $300. And I thought, no bloody way is that possible. That's and a so, great
1: deal, man. Let's well, go. I, a, I, I,
0: I expected it to be terrible. My, my thought was, A, I've got to see this, and B, mm-hmm. um, if it's terrible, perhaps it could be a good base that I could hack into a good Sword Forge. Yes. Anyway, I, I ordered it, and it showed up, and hashtag not sponsored. Look, Vivor, if anyone's <laughs> listening, would love to be sponsored, but we're not. It turned up, I am genuinely shocked at how good the build quality is. I don't don't know how they've justified making it that cheap the materials that went into it would be surely cost more the burners are some of the nicest burners I've ever seen and I've been doing this for long enough to have seen some dodgy burners in my day and I I will say I haven't fired it up yet because I'm still setting the castable refractory but in terms of build quality I'm very surprised so stay tuned for how that ends up because uh, it's it's looking we're looking pretty good but I want to do more swords and I've got a trident main gauch project coming up because nobody does custom trident main gauches and I really want to do one uh, and uh, doing a trident main gouch or anything longer than like a fairband Sykes dagger in a postbox forge is a nightmare so um, having a sword forge was an inevitability for me. Um, My song of the week this week is by a very little-known band that you may not have heard about called the Toxhards, and it's all one word, T-O-X-H-A-R-D-S, and they did okay. a song called Doombop, which is hilarious. It's, it's this really sort of jaunty, almost 50s-style rock and roll, like old-world rock and roll sort of swinging um, song. But it's about the most morbid, horrible things. Um, <laughs> and, and like it's called Doombot because it's like sung from the perspective of somebody who's always seeing everything doom and gloom, like they're going to mm-hmm. die horribly and they're going to get in car accidents and things. But the the song is so upbeat and happy that it's this really <laughs> funny juxtaposition. And I like that. I, yeah, I'm often listening to a sort of old fifties swing and fifties fifties rock and roll and things. So it, uh, I was. As soon as I heard it, I, I was attracted to it. But mm-hmm. these guys only have like less than uh, or fewer than three thousand subscribers on their YouTube channel, and they're making this awesome music. So definitely go and check out Doombop by the Tox Hearts. It'll be added to the Forgecast playlist. Hopefully, it's on Spotify for us to add it to the Spotify list. But it'll be on, it's on the YouTube playlist. So, so what about you, Mike? What have you been up to this week?
1: Oh, it's been a pretty good week so far. Um, I had a little bit of a delay earlier last week with some uh, big rainstorms and some really cold weather here in Chicago, um, so that was a little bit tough. But after that, um, it's warmed up, and I've been going hard producing um, all of my special alloys, primarily um, an alloy I like to call gem bronze, which is a type of bronze alloy that has a macroscopic crystal structure.
0: I'm so, so- excited about my parcel. I've got some of this coming, and I'm so yeah. excited
1: it's stopped yeah, over it's, in
0: Milan for some reason. I don't know why, but... Interesting. Yeah, Maybe
1: the folks over there want to get a peek.
0: Fashion week? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe someday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've been cooking uh, a lot of that stuff up for, for customers. Um, I've been getting a lot of orders from various types of artisans, um, primarily knife makers, um, a lot of like high-end knife makers who are looking to step up their bolster game, and um, Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but JP over at Big Daddy's Knife Shop, um, extremely talented knife maker. Um, He recently got like, I think... Almost a, a kilo of gem bronze in individual little like uh, pommel shaped things. So he's going to be doing a line of um, really nice Damascus knives with, um, I don't remember what he's doing for the guard, maybe some sort of like wrought iron or something. Um, but it's going to be really cool gem bronze pommels, really high quality wood. It's going to be a sweet line of knives. I'm very excited to see what he does with them. And yeah, so I've just been making a lot of gem bronze, um, getting all orders ready. I've also been doing a little bit of research and development into some new alloys. Um, mm. Gem bronze itself, because of the uh, the large crystal structure and a couple other metallurgical things that I can go into more detail later, uh, it really doesn't work for hot working. So you know, you throw it in a forge, you hammer it a couple times, and it'll start to crack and crumble just because it has a giant grain structure. So I've been looking at ways to try to make a material that contains both the large crystal structure. While still um, maintaining the ability to be worked hot, um, so the goal for this would be ideally to make a material that has the large, you know, crystalline structure, but would still also be able to be laminated in between steel for like Gomai blades. Yes, Cu Mai. Oh, I'm and so glad like to hear you say yeah. that. And I think everybody in the audience is
0: because <laughs> I have been being inundated with people messaging me about this after uh, talking about you last week. Of people mm-hmm. saying, "Could this work in a Gomai billet?" with, you know, like we've been doing with QC with QMI and everything. And I, I was, I was saying, I'm not sure uh, because you had mentioned the thinner you go, the harder it is to get the crystalline structure um, when we were talking. However, I also point out that you're a
1: freaking genius and probably could work it out. So I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the, the best way to go about that would be for me to cast up a big ingot. Um, I'm, I'm tentatively calling it gem copper, right now because um, it doesn't have any tin in it like gem bronze and tin plus copper makes bronze I don't know it's just kind of how I felt like naming them and stuff so it'd be a little bit easier for folks to understand what's in the materials so hopefully with this new gem copper alloy one could cast um, a large ingot of it that's over the uh, quarter inch uh, minimum thickness that I have for my ingot molds And from there, you could um, use a bandsaw and cut little strips of it, which would have a perfect little cross section of the crystals that exist within the material. Um, Stack that up with some steel and use it just like you would um, any type of uh, copper alloy for laminating cu my blades and things like that so hopefully hopefully that'll work it's going to take me a little bit longer um i've got a test billet made up and i've got a couple of material testers uh selected these are guys that um, do a lot of forging of non-ferrous alloys um so they'll be able to they'll be able to tell you know if it's if it works and if it does then i'll start stocking it in the shop for folks to make stuff with it
0: absolutely oh that's exciting six to midnight i'm excited. Oh, I love it. So tell
1: our, tell our listeners about your background. Actually, before that, do you have a song of the week that you'd like to add to Ooh, the players? I do have a song of the week. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, funk music. You know, anything you can uh, tap your foot to, it's great to listen to out in the shop. It gets me in the zone. Um, I've been really listening to um, some stuff by the artist Grizz. Um, so I guess mm-hmm. one, one song would be um, Simply by Grizz. It's a great song. Nice little uh, funk tune. Yeah. All right. Interesting. I've not heard of Grizz at all. It's interesting music. Um, he is a, um, he's like a traditional DJ, but he also has like a very extensive knowledge of music theory and things like that. So he, um, by himself, um, produces songs um, that are both kind of like a mix of EDM and like old school funk. And he does all of the mixing and writing for like the, all of the instruments in his songs. And he's a very talented guy.
0: Yeah right. i I have to check that out. So um, yeah, well, tell us tell us about your background. Give us an introduction into who Mike Palmer is, where he came from.
1: Sure. Well, as you guys know, hi, I'm Mike Palmer. Nice to meet all of you. Um, by um, by training and by education, I am a chemist. Um, I just recently graduated from Northeastern Illinois University with a bachelor's in science in general chemistry. Um, so ever since I was a little kid, maybe like, like seven, eight years old, I've always been into metal, I've always been into chemistry. Um, I tried to forge out my first knife out of a old piece of scrap metal when I was like eight years old, I think. So I've always kind of had, um, an affinity for it. And as I grew up, I started to get more and more into chemistry, um, figured out, I've kind of got a knack for it and, you know, just the two intersections of the hobbies as things progressed. Mm-hmm. Um, one day I was looking at a material called aluminum bronze because it has this lovely golden color to it. And I thought, Hey, a gold knife, that'd be pretty cool, man. (laughs) So I went online. Yeah. (laughs) That was literally the thought process. I was just like, this seems like a fun thing to do today. I'm going to buy it. And um, went online, picked up a a nice um, little billet of aluminum bronze. And I think it was a little over a pound and a half and it cost like $85 U S or something, which is, which is ridiculous. That's very expensive. And being a chemist and being ever so slightly cheap, I, I um, looked up the formula of nickel aluminum bronze, which was the material that I purchased from a company and um, looked up all of the ingredients and realized that, you know, Hey, I can, I can like do this at home. You know, I could, I could make this, I'm, I'm trained in chemistry. This is no different and actually probably a little bit easier than some of the organic and inorganic, uh, inorganic chemistry experiments that I've had to do at school. Um, so yeah, let's give it a shot. And, um, I got a furnace, um, started mixing up my own, um, aluminum bronze for knife casting, just for fun. And it started to work out pretty well. And me being me, I was like, Hey, like what, what happens if I add like an extra percent of, of nickel to this alloy or like what happens if I take away an extra percent of aluminum and just started tinkering with that a little bit. And, it's really fun i don't know why i just i just absolutely love it messing around with metal chemistry man it's it's something else it's like the closest thing to alchemy i feel like you know taking matter and changing it to a different shape a different form it's very cool and we have a um, saying
0: here on the forge cast in ignis veritas which the, in the fire there, there is fire is truth. there is truth yeah you look into that flame and you 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 see a whole identity form <laughs>
1: yeah for real there is um there's actually a a cool um japanese saying i don't know it in in japanese but um it said like when um when the sword goes into the forge your mind goes into the forge as well Mm. something along those lines it's really cool in japanese (laughs) it's it's
0: true though i mean i had been forging for years my my wife is now a knife maker but it's only for the last year um she finally got around to trying it. She thought, you know, bugger right, it, I'll, I'll give it a go. And that mm-hmm. first time pulling out that billet of steel from the forge and, and hammering it, she just, she just she turned stopped. to me with this look on her face. She said, I get it now. Because I'd been telling her for ages, like the whole world drops away. There's nothing left. There's just you
1: and the work. And she said, I, yeah. I see it. I get it. And she's now fully addicted to it, of course. Sounds like you got a cool wife, man. You guys can share that hobby together. That's that's wonderful. That's really special. I'm I'm glad you guys She's getting have found better that than together. me. <laughs> I'll be a kept man. <laughs> little little friendly competition, I see. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then um, after just um, you know playing around with different types of bronze chemistry, I started just uh, pouring through databases, anything that I could find online about copper metallurgy. Um, like the, the structure of the way the atoms work, um, the way different elements interact with the microstructure of copper to change its physical properties, um, all of these things just pouring through different alloy databases, like like dozens upon dozens of alloys, and just kind of seeing what was added to produce what type of effect. And then from there, I was able to kind of extrapolate some of the relationships between the elements added to copper and the properties uh, imbued to the alloy. And from there, it was just about selecting the properties that I wanted and, you know, just adding the right type of element. And it took a lot of trial and error. Um, I'd say it probably takes me, um, if if I'm lucky, probably about three months of testing and fine-tuning before I get an alloy ready to sell. Like, I probably, like, I think I actually invented the gem bronze alloy Almost, maybe, maybe like nine months ago, and it's just wow. been like tinkering little bits here and there, like adding a percent of this, adding a percent of that, and um, there's a bit of phosphorus in the alloy. And phosphorus, man, that stuff is so sensitive. Zero point one percent too much, and it can ruin a billet. You're right. But yeah, crumble. Yeah, it gets, um, it gets really, um, the way phosphorus works is it goes in and it actually forms a, a new, um, phase existing within the microstructure of copper. So there's like the pure copper crystals. They look kind of like a cube, basically, and let's just call that the pure copper alpha phase. And so by adding phosphorus, it creates a compound with, um, it's CU3P. So there's, um, uh, three copper atoms bond to one phosphorus atom. And this exists within the structure of the copper itself. So by adding more and more phosphorus, more of this um, Cu3P phase will exist. And the more of this phase that exists within the metal, the more corrosion resistant, um, the harder, um, less ductile, and um, less electrically conductive the alloy will be. So if you add Would too that much- that make it tarnish less as well? It does. Yeah. It does give a nice little corrosion resistance boost as well. Um, and it also really brightens the color of the metal. Um, when I started incorporating phosphorus into my alloys, I had to rework pretty much every single formula because um, I had this one formula called uh, celestial brass. It's this beautiful golden colored uh, brass um, alloy. And when I added just 0.1% phosphorus to it, um, the color completely washed out. It lost its like true golden hue and turned to more of like a kind of like a white gold color. It was still nice, but you know, not really what I was searching for. So I had to dial back the the zinc and some of the other ingredients to get it to balance and stuff. But um,
0: yeah, yeah. because we as knife makers, um, a lot of people would be uh, usually turned off by phosphorus because one thing that most knife makers are constantly on their search for is wrought iron. And one of the worst things you can have in wrought iron is phosphorus. Indeed. It makes it incredibly difficult to forge and it basically becomes useless because uh, it just falls mm-hmm. apart on you with all but the most careful use. And um, so to that the concept of being able to harness it accurately, making something better is you know, very foreign to me.
1: Yeah, it's cool stuff. Um, Yeah, phosphorus and sulfur, they're they're super bad for steel. Um, Sulfur isn't really great for copper, but you you can use it to some extent. It's not really done too much. Um, But the really exciting thing about using phosphorus and copper alloys, and the primary reason that I started to add it, um, is the reduction in electrical and thermal conductivity. And the way that translates into knife making is, say, for example, I know if you guys have ever worked with copper or brass before on a belt sander, you sand it for like 10, 15 seconds and that thing's so hot, it's like melting your skin.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it breaks the epoxy bonds like that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the addition of like, in some cases, like 0.1 to at most 0.3% phosphorus by weight, it can actually lower the electrical conductivity down to about a quarter of what it would be without it. So wow. it, I haven't done like exact measurements and I can't be like a hundred percent certain on like an exact figure as to how much it increases or it decreases the uh, thermal conductivity, but with an ingot that's roughly, mm, Oh, I don't know, uh, like one centimeter in thickness. Um, if you sand the bottom of one ingot, uh, if you sand like the bottom of the ingot, um, and then take it off the belt sander, the bottom of the ingot and the top of the ingot will be different temperatures.
0: Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. That's very,
1: <laughs> that's, that's yeah.
0: Um, one thing uh, I'd be particularly interested in is if it does actually um, have that uh, corrosion resistance because copper is a wonderful um, material for hardware or knives, guards and things. However, if you don't fastidiously maintain it, that It'll oxidation just... at the at the best case scenario it dulls horribly. The worst case scenario it goes full vertigree in your drawer while, while it's being stored. yeah for real. And brass is very much the same. It looks wonderful when it's polished, but it oxidizes mm. and becomes dull and and there's a, a saying that's often used brass ain't got no class in knife making because, because of that it just it looks great yeah. when you finished it and then all of a sudden a day later it looks awful. So having versions of it which don't do that as readily would be um, very valuable to a knife maker it oh opened, yeah opened definitely all worlds.
1: There's, um, there's a ton of alloys that I've created actually that are like insanely corrosion resistant. Um, there's, there's one that I've been, um, working on. I haven't really gotten a chance to roll it out yet just because of all of the demand of gem bronze, but, um, it's a type of, uh, I'm calling it a, a silicon white bronze. And so that's a copper alloy with, um, it, it's a pretty special mix. It's got, um, um, it's copper mostly with, uh, tin, nickel, zinc, silicon and phosphorus all at various amounts and individually if you add too much of one of those it can get brittle but i've kind of tinkered the formula down to a nice uh middle ground that still maintains an attractive kind of white bronze color Mm -hmm. but at the same time you can touch it with your hands like every single day for a month and it will not patina at all i've left it um yeah i've left it in a You putting that out (laughs) yeah yeah it's pretty cool stuff man um and I bought a couple alloys that, that work like that, but um, they're a little bit more expensive just because they have like a ton of nickel in them. And uh, nickel, as you know, is a bit, uh, a bit pricey. It's probably, probably the most expensive um, like constituent ingredient that I purchase for the work.
0: Have, have you considered in any of your work with, especially with your chemistry background? Um, one of the, one thing that most knife makers will probably have in their drawer somewhere will be compounds like brass black. Like your Birchwood Casey products where, have you heard of this before? You can, I
1: actually haven't.
0: It's sort of, uh, it's a fo- forced patina um, for, they've got versions for aluminium, they've got versions for brass, they've got okay. versions for it's copper, sure. stainless, and you brush it on and it goes just jet black. It's sort of like cold blue, except for yeah. non-ferrous metal, um, but different versions of it from different brands produce different results and there's i mean every possibility that you could have a line of um coatings that you could put on and you could say turn copper you know bright orange uh, from the chemical reaction or something to form a particular whatever oxide like like for example Mm -hmm. like um i I love working with naughty gold even though it's a nightmare and it makes me rage constantly i still love it because it's just so damn pretty but one of the reasons I like it is its heat patina is blue; it's electric mm-hmm. blue. Whereas yeah. if you take something like copper, the heat patina is a fiery orange and red sort of color. And nothing else that I've seen has that sort of electric blue—that that particular shade that Nordic Gold has. And I want to be able to work with that. But instead of having to do it through heat patina, what if you could actually have a chemical patina that you could put on there, almost like uh, anodizing titanium using the yeah. different voltages with like the you know uh, in the in the Uh, alkaline solution you could have something uh, a whole range of things that go along with your products of adding deliberate patinas to form different oxide colors
1: yeah definitely and there is a whole a whole science and whole chemistry to metal patinas and things like that and it's something that i really want to experiment with but um i have a very small shop Mm-hmm. And everything that I've kind of been doing right now is is filling up all of the space that I have. But um, yeah. this this summer, actually, I'm moving out to Oregon, and I'm going to be getting a a, a bigger shop, uh, like a full size shop. Like I'm just kind of working out of like a like a little like storage shed in my backyard right now. Um, so there's not really much space and good storage for lots of nasty patina chemicals. But mm-hmm. going forward, that is something I really want to investigate because um, I think that combining. The natural funky crystal structure of some of the gem alloys with some forced patinas might create some really funky textures and just really beautiful mixtures. One of my customers actually decided to do an uh, ammonia and uh, salt patina on Mm -hmm. one of the gem bronze ingots, and man, it's funky looking. You can see like some of the gem bronze crystals where the salt was rusting maintain their original color and others have turned black and you can see the individual crystal boundaries. And man, it's, it's, Oh, it's gorgeous. I'm going to have to try it myself sometime.
0: Yeah. I might have to bend your ear about that when My, my parcel turns up cause uh, that uh, some of just already, I mean, you you've sort of, at least from my perspective, sort of just appeared out of nowhere in the last month or so. And um, I'm just, Sometimes you. I, I remember when Koi Baker first appeared. It's like this guy's going places. And um, Tobias Hangler. Have you seen mm-hmm. Tobias Hangler with um, Apex Ultra Steel?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I know Apex Ultra. The, the name doesn't ring a bell, though, unfortunately. You
0: and you and Tobias, by the way, I'd one day need to be in the same room together. He is a, yeah? another um, metallurgical genius. Um, and his sort of ferrous metals, although he does know a lot about non-ferrous as well. Uh, and you with the non-ferrous side of things, I think you'd have a lot to talk about.
1: <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, I love I love talking shop with with other metallurgy folks. It's, it's great. <laughs>
0: and I think it's inspiring to hear actually that you are just sort of working out of a, a garden shed and, and still mm-hmm. doing this sort of thing. I mean, most of us uh, have been there at least, if not already currently there. And yeah. being able to still inject something new and different into a, an industry that has been around for centuries uh is just phenomenal i mean it's thank you it's it's what the industry needs to be honest people still just thinking outside the box um so, like, what, so what's so what's a typical day in your life as as a metallurgist what
1: what how do you how do you structure that sure i mean i can i can go through my day right now um Owning my own business, I don't have to work for anyone, which means I can wake up when I want, which is Uh great. I'm definitely a night owl, so I usually get up um, every morning at around like 10, 10.30ish, make myself some breakfast. And then after that, I'll usually... you know, do like social media stuff, social media marketing while I'm eating kind of right after I wake up, um, engage with all of my adoring fans, such as yourself. And then usually after that, um, I'll do um, a bit of reading after breakfast. Um, I'll either, uh, I've been reading some interesting books uh, about occult philosophy of all things recently. So that's been fun. Do you a- follow, a Troll do tra- follow Troll Cunning Forge? I do follow Troll Cunning Forge. My yeah. man. He's cool. I talk about Marcus guy. a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Um, So I've been reading that right now. Um, Very interesting, very different than anything I've read. And um, I also, in that kind of morning time, I like to look up interesting metallurgy articles, um, pretty much anything I can find on uh, how copper works, how the metal works, how it exists, how just just about copper in general. Um, but I've kind of read most of the easily accessible um, articles already. Um, so I've been kind of pursuing like uh, patents and uh, Google Scholar for more like obscure research, um, things like that. So I usually read for a little bit just to kind of get my brain engaged. It's a nice thing to do in the morning. And then after that, I'll usually go out to the shop from like, from like one o'clock to like 2.30ish roughly. And you know, I'll go out there. I'll work for uh, about an hour and a half. I'll knock out any orders that I have for the day. And if they're, you know, if I don't have any orders or um, it's not such a busy day, um, I'll usually maybe do like a test alloy of some kind. So I'll um, take something that I've thought of and you know, add a percent of this, remove a percent of that, and uh, cast the ingot. Check it out. Um, do some very basic tests and. Uh, don't want to go on a tangent i have something to add after this though um but yeah i'll do some some very basic tests and then after that um take notes see how it compares to the previous iteration of the alloy how the color works how the uh working characteristics are if it's better if it's worse if it's too brittle if it's too soft if it's not corrosion resistant enough all of those kinds of tests. And then I'll go inside, make myself some lunch. I've been really digging uh, popcorn chicken recently. It's great stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, then I'll have some lunch. And then um, during the afternoons after lunch, I just kind of relax, chill out, don't really do anything uh, mentally uh, taxing, just kind of like watch TV, just dick around on my phone, talk with friends, things like that. Um, Have dinner watch a little bit of tv after dinner and then um another good thing about owning my own business is i get productive at like really weird times so like usually at like eight it's usually from like eight to ten p.m ten thirty p.m i'll go outside and i'll get a bit more work done see if i can <laughs> crank out some more orders um i try not to do any um like hammering or anything like really loud late at night so i kind of shift that to the morning just because i don't want to piss off my neighbors you know <laughs> all that fun stuff and um then i go inside um and then just kind of relax for the rest of my night have a late night snack go to bed um probably at like two like 1 o'clock ish and do it all again the next day
0: excellent yeah mm. so it's um this the, the pros and cons of uh working for yourself sometimes you like you get you get all that freedom but sometimes it can um you start getting too en- enjoying relaxation a little bit too much and things yeah. some- can sometimes pile up, but it sounds like you've got a good handle on that, which is good. Wait. Definitely. Just wait though. I'm I'm predicting a big rush of rush of orders as more and more people discover you. <laughs>
1: you might I hope to, so. Yeah, yeah start I've waking a, up earlier. <laughs> I've already got like a uh oh <laughs> uh, no. I don't know if I'll survive. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a morning person either. <laughs> But yeah, if um, I've already got like a seven to ten day wait time, so it might mm. it might get a little bit get a little bit longer than that. Um, but the other point that I wanted to get to is um, everything that I do with my research and production, I'm basically using technology that could be made at like civil war era. Like I'm sure you could like ghetto rig some sort of belt sander. Um, back then but that's well you'd have still...
0: a stone uh, i mean a, gr- yeah. a pet treadle operated grinding stone would do the same thing
1: mm-hmm. that would also work it'd probably be a bit more time consuming but uh, i'm sure i could get the job done with one <laughs> you'd have
0: big quad muscles <laughs>
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I use just a very basic um, propane furnace. Um, I use a belt sander um, for my uh, scientific material science tests. Um, this might sound kind of strange, but I will tap the ingots sometimes with a hammer and listen to the sound that they produce. Right. And as time has gone on, I have hit so many ingots with hammers, I can kind of like from the way it rings, I could sometimes tell if it's a little bit too brittle or if it's a little bit too soft. Um, I'll also do little tests where I'll make an ingot. That's about like maybe like five ish millimeters thick. And I'll try and bend it uh, a full 90 degrees and then back to straight again to see what happens. And um, from, from that test, that's where I get most of my um, relevant data about the strength and performance of the alloys, because some alloys, you can barely even bend them to a full 90 degrees before they just crack.
0: Well, ha- Depending um, on the composition, the modulus of elasticity would be vastly different, I imagine.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it was so interesting that you said that you're reading about occult things a lot. Because, I mean, what you're doing is so akin to alchemy and the history of it alchemy is. that it's... I'm um, an alchemist. There's a, there's a lot going on there. And it's just the gold that you're looking for is the next cool product.
1: Indeed. I think it actually, it goes a little bit, it goes a little bit deeper than that too. And I'm I'm glad you brought this up because I rarely get to talk about some of the more like esoteric aspects of what I do, but I think what I do really is alchemy. I, I take raw materials, copper, tin, other stuff, just hunks of metal and I mix them together and I create something new. And from that, the gem bronze, primarily I can use that and it goes out and transforms other things as well it transforms how people think about non-ferrous metals it transforms um, the things that people are able to make with their products things that they can do and it's kind of my way of putting beauty out into the world um uh, yeah. there's a lot of a lot of ugliness out in the world right now and it uh, it, it sucks it's you nice know, it's to really, be able to make beautiful things amidst it, really it is. all yeah yeah it really is and so i think it's pretty it's it's pretty special what I do. I don't know. Um, i have not really seen anyone else who does anything like this and I'm glad I've been able to make my own sort of niche and going forward, I hope to just be able to put out even more cool stuff, um, metallurgical advancements that are tailored, uh, to knife makers and other, um, metalworking artisans, things like that. I'm pretty sure I'm the only fellow out there who's doing stuff like that. So I'm happy to be, uh, filling a niche and um, providing beauty and functional art to, um, bunch of talented and wonderful people out there
0: well we do a type of episode every so often called double trouble where we get two guests on at the same time that have um you know sometimes contradictory sometimes comparative um you know knowledge in a certain field and we like to sort of Focus it around a topic. Getting you and Marcus from Troll cunning Forge on at the same time to talk about the esoteric aspects of alchemy and, and metallurgy, and its link to occultism, would be a very cool episode. And I want yes. the listeners to comment in the the Instagram post or the Facebook post if you think that that would be an awesome episode, and we'll try and make it happen.
1: Oh yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm I'm voting yes for that big time.
0: We'd <laughs> be all over that like
1: shit on Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So well,
0: you're clearly inspiring a lot of people, myself included, with with your work recently. Um, Who inspires you? Who's somebody who sort of got you to where you are that that drives you?
1: Mm, That's a tough one. I have a couple of different categories. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the some of the makers that I guess really inspired me um, early on, like you mentioned, uh, Coy Baker yeah. At Baker Forge. Um, I saw what he was doing with, with steel and the success that he was having. And since from pretty much since day one that I've started my business, like I've been thinking like, I want to be the bronze equivalent of this guy. Yeah. Like I want to be doing what he does supplying like the coolest, the dopest material out there for, for folks to use. Um, so yeah, he's been a big inspiration of mine. Um, just his whole business model. Uh, I've talked to him a bunch. He's a really cool guy too. Uh, um, he is. So, yeah. He's
0: been on the show a few times
1: best wishes koi you man <laughs> um, so yeah he's been a big inspiration um, so I sound kind of <laughs> kind of cheesy but um, another inspiration I guess would just be uh, my my mom actually she's uh, she's an incredible person um, she's you know she's she's been through all kinds of crazy stuff and she doesn't let it get her down she's still got a heart of gold and uh, she's you know believed in me and supported me every step of the way when I'm you know cooking up crazy shit in the garage. And that's <laughs> that a hard
0: day. sell when your kid is getting into chemistry at an early age.
1: <laughs> yeah. For real, for real. So yeah, she's, she's, she's the best. I, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. It's, um, Thanks. it's, it's good to have that person. That's just supportive. Um, yeah, not, my wife was always like that. I always described her to people as the guardian to the gates of my solitude. She's like, you, mm. you want to go do that crazy thing. I'm going to make sure nobody disturbs you while you do it. It sounds like your, your mum kind of had that same sort of vibe.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's a really sweet way of describing it too. I'm, I'm glad you guys have each other like that. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got, as I've mentioned earlier, this is a very sort of educational focused show and, uh, we do get a lot of listener emails and, um, People didn't know that you were coming on. I'm sure we would have gotten some more um, of your work specific questions, but we do have a couple of questions from listeners. You're more more than welcome to pitch in uh, on helping answer them. So uh, both emails come from somebody called Zach, but they're two different Zachs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello,
0: Zach one and two. (laughs) Zach1 says, um, would you please talk about the mechanical engineering specs of building a proper ribbon burner propane setup? I built a ribbon burner that is 10 inches by 2 inches by 2 inches with 25 Crayola-sized holes. (laughs) The intake pipe is two inches and my propane comes in at about 28 inches from the burner via a one quarter inch line, entering a two inch by two inch by half inch T with a reducing bush down to a quarter inch. I tried also adding an additional quarter inch nipple with a cap and a 0.05 inch hole drilled in the cap. Tanks are full and I've tried every combo of air pressure and propane pressure. I think my issue may be the piece that threads to the tank that looks like a non-adjustable regulator which is reducing pressure far too much my regulator gauges in line are reading zero psi even though there is definitely propane coming out i'm starting to lose my mind after two years of Messing with this thing, <laughs> uh, there's a bit of censorship there. Um, as <laughs> as fun as the build was, I did not want a two year detour at the start of my forging journey. I think the cubic inches of the intake pipe should match roughly the cubic inches of the burner holes, but I'm not clear what the idea uh, ideal chamber size above the refractory is, or how to maximize mixing. I tried putting a twisted piece of metal in the two inch line; no improvement. I'm ready to just pay an expert ribbon burner setup person to solve my problem. Frustrated beyond words, my foundry burner was ten thousand times easier. Air mattress pump, add gas, blow into foundry. butterbing. I may just roll the foundry on its side and call it a forge. Please help, thanks, Zach. <laughs> oh no! Oh, it sounds like you've been having a time of it, Zach. So For the real, fact man. that your the fact that your inline gauges are reading zero uh, would be a, a hint. I, I'm all I'm a fan of like. Um, if you hear hoofbeats, think horses not zebras um so if you're hearing gas coming out gas can come through a line at a low enough pressure that you don't actually um, register anything on the needle because um, depending on the manufacturer of the gauge it might be low enough that it is registering zero and people will have known this if they've ever run a gas bottle to empty Um, you'll be like how are you still going the pressure gauge says zero like this Mm -hmm. it's just using up that last bit of gas so you might actually like you said the initial regulator that's one of those just you know dodgy ones might be letting through a little gas um, and it's not enough to register on the needles but not enough to instigate the fuel air mixture that you need Uh, the other one is you need to think of when I always say to, when, with this sort of thing, if I'm in person with someone, I'll hold up a pipe and I'll make them look down and I'll say, what's in there? And they say nothing. And I say, no, it's full of air because air works like a fluid in a lot of ways. And so volumes are super important. And what you need is uh, a certain amount of what's called back pressure. Um, and back pressure means that the total area of all of the holes in the ribbon burner, the actual vent, need to be smaller by a certain percentage than the total volume of air moving through the system. And that way it creates pressure, which will cause jets to happen. It's uh, basically it's, it's how you pressurize the system is don't let air out at the same rate that the air is going in that builds pressure. Um, And you also have to understand that the pressure inside that system will change depending on the heat. So, um, as it gets hotter, or as it's combusting, it's going to the math is going to change from if you're just moving cold room temperature air through it. Um, so there's there's a lot of different aspects to it. The first thing I would look at would be your initial regulator. Get those inline regulators actually reading something, um, and that would be the f- that would be the first place I would start. If you don't have enough fuel in your fuel air mixture, it will not combust. Um, and then once you've got combustion happening, if you do not have the adequate back pressure you will not get a combustion jet on your ribbon burner and if it's too low you actually risk back uh backflash through your burner system which is not a good day by anyone's standards so but if you're using forced air then that's it's unlikely to have backflash so um basically if you don't if you want to mitigate the risk of backflash keep the once you've made sure there's no ignition happening anywhere, keep the, the blower running for a few more seconds uh, until all of the gas fittings are turned off, then turn off the blower, and then you'll, you'll remove any or, or mitigate any risk of backflash. So um, don't know if you have anything to add to
1: that. Um, coming from a guy who <clears throat> has only experienced with, uh, propane, uh, wiring, I guess you could call it would be, um, connecting, uh, pre-bought, uh, furnace fixtures. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to let you stick to that one. <laughs> uh, I you know you st- you know, your stuff though, man, that was impressive listening to all that. I have never really done any research into that kind of stuff, but, um, yeah, so we've, knowledgeable.
0: Um, it's, it's one of those things, um, it, it frustrates me a little bit. I, I understand the, the use of Crayola crayons. To make ribbon burner forges, because you basically you put it in the the crayons in the refractory, and then you can just melt them out. Um, mm. However, uh, people see other people doing that, think that's a great idea, and think that that's just what you do, but don't ever think of the <laughs> comparative volumes of how fast the air, the the air mixture can leave those holes versus what's being fed in. However, it sounds like Zach has actually been spending a long time analyzing this and trying to do the calculations. Indeed. But the um, every what is it? No plan survives first contact with the enemy. The amount of times I've been sitting at my electronics workstation and I've got a circuit that's been working perfectly on a breadboard, and then as soon as I move it into actually soldering the circuit to a PCB, and it won't work. And I have checked it fifty times, and it won't work. uh, And it's enough to drive you mad. So I know that frustration. But um, it's to get a forge burning, you need to have the correct back pressure um the correct flow and the uh, and a- a- adequate combustion which is your fuel air mixture and you need to have those things uh, that, that dialed together so first thing would be to see if your pre-existing setup since it sounds like you've thought through just assume that's right and just work on that fuel air mixture um get get that measuring measurably coming out um if you've got a venturi burner a really good way to do it would be to disconnect your that dodgy regulator from the ribbon burner setup and just hook it up to a venturi burner can you get flame out of a venturi burner because a venturi burner you know that's it's very on or off it's very very simple so just give that a go and uh yeah just food for thought for you zach hopefully it helps so and our final question also comes from zach but a different zach (laughs) and Zach says, hello, gents. It's Zach with a couple of business questions. I would like to branch into the world of bladesmithing and was wondering if I needed to have some kind of insurance before I sell any blades. I'm sure I do, but I'm not sure if there's a certain type I would need. My second question is for Alex, and it's about his Dibs system and if I can adapt that for my blades in the future. I love the idea of just making whatever I want and taking fewer commissions. Thanks, guys. And if it makes it easier, I am based in Ohio, USA, and I can wait until there is an American bladesmith on the show. Uh, to help with the first question. Cheers, guys, and keep on keeping on. So, um, absolutely not. You can't use my system. No, I'm kidding. Um, you, <laughs> no, I've had a few people ask. Um, I, I think it's the. I, I personally think it's the ideal system for any maker to use. Um, that I'm biased, of course, because I came up with it. Um, but <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, it's a good system. If you you just make what you want to make. And be very public about the fact that you're making it. And as people see you working on it, they can just say, I want dibs on that. And you build a list of the people who have said that they want dibs on it. And when you are done, you go through that list in order and you offer it to those people. No deposits, no commitments. They can say no if they want. Just absolutely... You know easy and and smooth and i'll be honest since implementing that system i have never reached the end of a dibs list and had to offer a knife publicly i've always had somebody take it so it's it's a good system and it allows me to not have to take commissions which is an awful thing so absolutely go ahead and use it so just make sure you actually you know sell it get people putting dibs on it and make it clear that that's what they need to do because you have to remember your posts are going to be in amongst thousands of other posts and people aren't necessarily going to read them thoroughly so just make it very clear how your system works for people as for the knife insurance certain different countries are going to have different requirements always check um, your local legislation in whatever country you're in Um, I am fairly certain, I know it's very much the case here and I'm fairly certain it's the case in America that if you are selling knives at a a show or a market or something where your knives are on a table, you need to have some sort of insurance so that if somebody runs over, grabs a knife off your table and then stabs the person next to them that you are covered uh, for that incident or even if somebody injures themselves on, you know, they trip over and they land on your table and stab themselves a thousand times that you've got that sort of, uh, liability, or even if you yourself accidentally cause a fire or something, uh, you can count on that insurance. Um, so finding somebody who will provide that insurance in Australia, it's the, uh, I think the Australian knife makers guild membership actually comes with that insurance, um, hmm, in America. Awesome. The, yeah. The ABS in America or the knife makers guild in America may also have that. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, as for, insurance for if you have sold your knife to somebody they've then gone off to their home and the next week they've stabbed somebody um i find it very very hard that that could ever be linked to you uh, unless you have made a type of knife or weapon that is illegal in the country or state that you have been selling it in Uh, if it was traced back to you for example in australia you cannot own a push dagger in any part of australia interesting so If I made somebody a push dagger and then two weeks later they used it to push that dagger into a person, they would say, where did you get that push dagger? And then it would come back to me and that would be bad. No amount of insurance is going to protect me from that. So being familiar with the legislation of the place where you are is uh, super important because if that same person bought a push dagger from me and then while they're on holiday in Australia and they then went off home to, you know, Egypt and then used it, it wouldn't come back to me. (laughs) But it's it's you know it's important to be familiar with that sort of thing but in terms of selling in place at shows more often than not at least at the very least the show organizers are going to want you to be insured to cover their own backs so um, guild membership is uh, wherever you live is likely going to cover that but it's a very good question to ask your local guild because even if they don't offer it themselves they will be able to tell you um where to go from there. So in your case in Ohio, talk to the knife makers guild or the Australian bladesmithing society. Um, so two two different entities. Most people always talk about the ABS in America, but ABS isn't a guild, it's an it's a society. There is also a knife makers guild. So Anything you want to add to that?
1: Um, yeah, just you know just check out local laws um wouldn't be super worried about it. Like you said, with the the knife shows, it's probably going to be important, but, um, from a lot of the knife maker friends that I have, um, they've never really mentioned insurance. Maybe that's just because they haven't mentioned it. Um, but yeah, I'd say just, just look it up. Um, and you'll probably be all right.
0: Yeah. So hopefully that helps second Zach, Zach two, but no, by no means the lesser of the two Zachs by being Zach number two. All right. So, um, Mike, back to the questions. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been waiting to ask you this one because I reckon it's going to be a fascinating answer. Far away. In your opinion, what are some of the most exciting recent developments in the field of metallurgy, and how do you see them shaping the future Ooh. of the industry?
1: Well, the main, Ob- obviously, one...
0: uh, separately to your own. Yeah,
1: <laughs> sure, of course. Oh well, well, actually, uh, my uh, invention of yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'd say the primary thing that I have, um, seen the most about that I'm most excited about is the field of these things called high entropy alloys. Mm -hmm. And they're a very interesting substance, um, group of substances, excuse me. Um, so in a traditional alloy like, uh, steel or bronze, for example, um, it's, uh, the majority of the alloy consists of one element. So like in steel, it's like mostly iron with small amounts of carbon, and in bronze's case, it's mostly copper with smaller amounts of of tin added to make the alloy itself. And that's kind of how we as humans have looked at alloy making throughout practically our entire history of of metalworking, would be to take a primary element and add something else to the primary element in order to um, bring out a certain material characteristic already within the base metal or to create a, a new type of characteristic. And the cool thing about high entropy alloys is that unlike this traditional approach to metallurgy um, they work by combining large quantities of multiple elements so off the top of my head I'm not sure what the exact proportions of this were but one of the ones that I've seen a lot um, is a high entropy alloy consisting of close to equal ratios of I think chromium nickel and cobalt so and these these elements are mixed almost at a ratio of like uh, like a third of a percent or of like thirty three percent of the alloy each, and um, I'm I not feel exactly like that f- metal would look very cool. Oh yeah, it would look super cool. It would probably just it would probably have a like a bluish kind
0: grayish of, sort of tinge.
1: Yeah, I bet there would be some like tarnished really, like, silver. Yeah, almost I bet. Um, hmm. I don't know. That's, that's really Poss- interesting. Because, blue. I don't, yeah. I don't know, actually. I think it might, um, because of the, the nickel and just the, the large amounts of, of three different types of kind of whitish looking transition metals together, it might, um, it would definitely look interesting and different. I suppose.
0: Yeah. Nickel is a bit like, from my understanding, it's a bit like, um, putting garlic in food. Once you've put it in there, like yeah. the food's going to smell like garlic. It's, um, uh, which isn't a problem, but you know, nickel tends to take over a bit. Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, here it is. So I, I was, I was a little bit mistaken, actually. I just did a quick, uh, quick Google search of one of the, um, most common, uh, high entropy alloys. And it is a mixture of, it is a mixture of cobalt, chromium, um, iron, manganese, and nickel. And I wish I could show you the the graphic of it, but I can show you here. It's like this big kind of cube shape mm, with all different. Very types homogeneous. Of, yeah, so like all of the atoms are evenly distributed amongst each other, and they create a new and homogeneous phase within the metal. At least within this alloy's case, and because of the the strange mixture of different elements, um, it has material properties that are uh, unlike anything that we found in traditional. Um, binary alloys like copper like uh, bronze or steel and things like that all sorts of things yeah um all sorts of stuff um i haven't really read like too much about it um unfortunately it's just kind of like oh that's like a, a cool thing um going on but
0: uh, more sort uh... of uh, chemically interesting than uh, necessarily in a practical sense or do you think it has practical application as well
1: Oh, it, it definitely has practical applications. Um, I'm just, I'm just doing some, some, some research, just some looking. Real time set. research. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. So the research indicates that um, these high types of high entropy alloys are going to have um, much better strength to weight ratios than traditional materials. Um, cool. Higher amount of fracture resistance. will be able to take more like tensile tensile strength or higher tensile strength. Sorry. Um, and also a better degree of corrosion and um, oxidation resistance too. So it's like – they're basically like super metals. It's very nice. cool. They're very hard to make. Um, you need to use like uh, crazy like vacuum-based induction furnaces that probably get close to ooh, maybe like f- anywhere from 1,500 to 1,800 degrees Celsius. Oh, so wow. like those are – so they're really cooking. Oh, yeah. And So I guess that's one of the more interesting ones that I've seen. Um, A little bit outside of my wheelhouse, uh, I'm still kind of actually a a little bit of a novice at metallurgy. I've never been, like, officially educated in, like, the same way that I've been educated in uh, chemistry. So pretty much all of my metallurgy knowledge is um, self-taught and from YouTube videos, things online. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's just... um, I could always know more, you know? So I think maybe in like another, maybe like two, three, four years, I might, um, I might go back to school and get like a graduate degree in material science and metallurgy. That way I can Mm -hmm. have like a much better and more solid understanding of how like the alloying works because I figured out a lot of like the what of alloying. Like I can tell, like, you know, if you add like X amount percent of aluminum plus something else, this is going to happen. And, but I'm not exactly like a hundred percent certain about the, the why that it starts to happen. So that's something that I'd really like to learn and uh, get better at in the future. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're always advocating the why learning the why in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the more you listen to it, the more you'll hear me ranting on about it. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so what, what, like, what kind of challenges do you run into in your work? Like when you are sticking thing, have you ever put something in there and then regretted it instantly because thermal runaway has happened and you've had to evacuate the shop or like what sort of, what sort of things do you
1: run into that, trick you up (laughs) never quite uh never quite that bad that i've had to full-on evacuate the shop um but i guess the the most difficult thing that i've had to kind of work with is um, some metal alloys they're very finicky in their composition like even like less than 0.1 percent of impurities can totally throw off the the gem bronze gem creation. Like, Mm. um, there was one day I was super salty about this. Um, I was doing an experiment with adding gallium to copper and I used, um, let's just say crucible one for this. And I did a gem bronze melt afterwards in crucible one after I had meticulously cleaned it to the same degree that I would clean out any crucible after using, there was barely any metal in there. Maybe like maybe a gram of metal kind of just stuck to the sides here and there. And I poured a kilogram ingot of gem bronze and that single gram of metal that had probably five to 10% gallium by weight was enough to completely destroy the gems. There wasn't any Uh. in there. It had this kind of like yucky scale on it and there was no gems. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know how to explain this, but it's like, there's certain like unanticipated reactions that can occur from even minute concentrations of other elements. So it's like there's been a couple times where I'd make an alloy in one crucible and then I'd use the exact same formula um, the next day and it wouldn't work because of perhaps there was some impurity that was in the metal that was actually helping out the alloy. Or in some cases, there's a tiny impurity in there that kind of messes with the alloy. So it can go
0: both ways.
1: Yeah. So what I've been what I've been doing to try to to mitigate this to the best of my ability is I've been having like uh, designated crucibles for certain alloys. So like for the for the gem bronze, I have one crucible that like I only will melt gem bronze in. Otherwise, um, it can mess up the melts and waste some very expensive metal. Unfortunate. Um, but yeah, just the just the fine tuning process I'd say is the most difficult because it's like sometimes when I get the base alloy, it's like this is like it's fine or it's not different or unique enough to really consider selling because there's something out there that exists already that can perhaps do the job that I intended for this alloy to do a little bit better. So yeah, just like, it's, it's like finding a sweet spot, man. It's like, you know, a little bit too much, this too much, too little of that. And it doesn't work. And yeah, I don't know, just, just kind of finding those, those sweet spots I guess would be the biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, do you have like a white whale that you're hunting? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, a type of copper alloy that does not have nickel in it. That is white colored. I've been white trying to make copper. that. Yeah. White copper, like a kind of like a white bronze, but like almost like the same color as like, um, like almost like a silvery colored alloy. Cause it can be done with nickel silver, And it can be done with other alloys that I've messed around with, with nickel, but because of the price on that, it's pretty expensive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've tried out other white bronze formulas that I've seen online. I found one that was like 55% copper, uh, 15% zinc and 30% tin. And it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful white color. And I cast an ingot of it and I was like, oh man, like, I'm so stoked. Like I finally figured this out. And then I, I flipped the ingot mold over and the ingot just just cracks into like 10 pieces just from like a, just from like maybe like 30 centimeters off the ground, just exploded. Jeez. So then I, yeah. And so I did some more research and I realized that that type of white bronze was only to be used for plating applications. Oh Uh, yeah. So, so that's been a little tricky. I've had a lot of folks over the years kind of request um, some more like silvery alloys that aren't silver based and stuff. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's something that I've been working on for a while now with, Albeit frustratingly little success. So far. So
0: far. <laughs> if, it's, if it's been that splinter in your brain, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Hopefully. So um, we actually uh, talked about casting a while back as a topic of the show, uh, and it's gotten a lot of people wanting to try it themselves. Yeah. Um, and after talking to you, I mean, imagine a lot of people may want to be wanting to start a bit of a career in metallurgy. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for somebody that's thinking of getting into the same sort of field that you are
1: yeah definitely particularly
0: from someone with a background in chemistry you may have a different perspective um, than a normal metallurgist
1: so i'd say the the best advice that i have to anyone looking to understand metallurgy or just any type of science in general would be to read as much as possible about the topic of interest and read as many different articles from as many different people as you can, because with with something like a science, I mean, it's 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 there's so much of it. There's just so much of it, and there's so many brilliant people that have contributed so many brilliant concepts and ideas over the years that um, our understanding of certain sciences has kind of evolved from a collection of people people's inputs and everything. So take as many different information sources as you can read old books, read new papers that have come out. Um, just anything you can get your hands on to familiarize yourself with the thing you want to learn about. Um, we live in an amazing time with access to the internet, Google scholar, um, reading patent applications, patent applications are great because they have a lot of, um, really strange and new stuff that perhaps didn't really make it out into the market, but was still patented. Um, So yeah, just, just, just try to learn as much as you can and just keep an open mind. And in terms of, you know, metal casting and the things like that, um, or any sort of science where a great degree of trial and error is involved is just, is practice. It's like playing a musical instrument. I mean, I've been, I've been casting metal for probably close to four years now. And the ingots that I used to cast (laughs) when I started out, like I look at them now and I'm like, oof like man like there's some of them that have like swiss cheese looking bubbles and holes in them and stuff and um yeah it's just it's it's um it's the, the skill that i've been able to to learn and to to produce with metal casting has, has come about through uh, large amounts of reading and large amounts of practice it's not terribly fun all of the time but you know if you really want to do something and you commit your mind to it and you can even commit just a half an hour every single day or half an hour even every other day of the week and you just commit and put that time in, you're going to see yourself get better. It's going to take a while and there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be some weeks where you know, you're know, you probably not going to be doing as well and other weeks where you're going to be doing amazing. And it's just, just keep pushing through, just learn as much as you can, practice as much as you can and... Just try to enjoy what you're doing, and sooner sooner or later, you'll you'll be kicking ass in your field. Yeah, I, it's, I, that's actually a, a, a very um, practical thing. Uh, I
0: did a similar thing recently. Um, people were weirded out by it, but I st- started learning to juggle. Um, oh, right on, hell yeah! I had I had noticed that I was starting to have some coordination issues, and I was dropping things more often and and whatnot. And I wanted to see, am I, do I actually have something going on or is it just that I'm not using it and you lose it? So one thing I've always wanted to be able to do and never been able to do was juggling. And I used that exact same thing that you just said. I forced myself, whether I sucked at it or not, to do 15 minutes of it every day. Yep. And after two weeks, I could juggle. I was just fine. And it actually went on to lead to me dropping fewer things and have better coordination. And um, Amazing. So, If I can do it with something as, you know, inane as juggling, imagine doing it with something like metallurgy. You just Mm -hmm. spend half an hour a day reading, uh, learning about it and just force yourself to, and your brain just starts getting used to it after a while. It's a bit like jogging. If you want to get into Mm -hmm. jogging for fitness, the first two weeks suck.
1: Oh yes. You just force yourself
0: to do it. And then after a while your body craves it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good advice. Good advice. Thank you. Well, th- Thanks so much for coming on to the show, Mike. This has been a very interesting episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast, man. Where can um, people find more of you? Tell, tell us all of the places to look for you.
1: So currently, I am just on Instagram, uh, Mike's underscore Metalworking. That's me. Um, I'm on there, but I have plans to start a website and then eventually a YouTube channel once I get moved oh. out and set up in my new shop. Yes, so I'm going to yes, be teaching... Yes. Teaching folks how to uh, properly like clean and process scrap metal into quality ingots, um, how to do basic alloying, like how to make uh, aluminum bronze, different types of brass at home, um, things like that, um, what not to mix when you're metal casting, um, updates on my own experiments, things like that
0: yeah i'll be your first subscriber that sounds awesome i'm wanting to get into it more i've only just recently gotten into casting and i'm very very novice at it and i've learned a lot of things the hard way so having a youtube channel because that's the thing it's it's the information about it is very sporadic uh and people who do say that they're teaching about it they miss so many things that you need you've got questions about and to have a all in one place would be really really valuable
1: yeah i'm just kind of going to go back through all of the all of the steps and all of the mistakes that i made along the way and hopefully uh hopefully put a really comprehensive guide out there and also before before i forget i remember you were talking about how difficult uh nordic gold is to work with yes and i'm guessing you like it because of the golden color yes uh the the golden color and the way it patinas yeah so I have, um, I have something, uh, an alloy I call Celestial Brass. Um, it's the same kind of gorgeous golden color. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done uh, extensive uh, patina tests on it, but I, you know I'm always down for some more material science tests. And it will be extremely easy to work with and extremely easy to cast. So if in the future, if you ever want to give it a try... Um, I can I can send you a little uh, in your next order. I can send you a little like free freebie little piece.
0: Ooh, I'll definitely definitely give that a try. I'm, I'm uh, also fascinated to try that. Um, I'm having a mental blank on the alloy that you um, suggested to me in our chats a while back. Uh, that was it, basically not a gold without that managed to be without zinc. Um, the bronze mm-hmm. alloy uh, C C ninety five four hundred C
1: nine 400. Oh yeah, that's um, that's a type of uh, high-grade aluminum bronze. Um, mm. You can actually um, you can forge it out really well. Um, I've seen some folks, um, Alex Steele, and another person I can't remember their name. Sorry, whoever you are, um, but they did some really great work where they forged uh, full-scale swords out of uh, this type of bronze alloy.
0: Right. stuff. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I'm very keen to to give that a try, but the celestial bronze, you you've got my you've got my attention there. There'll be there will inevitably be more orders from me, you can guarantee that. Um Oh hey, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm so excited it. about this parcel. I'm at that point where um living on a tiny island uh, out in the middle mm. of nowhere, you you you're cursed to constantly be doing daily checks of tracking numbers whenever you order things, so Yeah. <laughs> but um, people will be seeing me using uh, Mike's gem bronze. I'm very, very keen. Oh, Um, yeah. So... But uh, listeners, if you've got any further questions for the show, questions about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, metallurgy, that sort of thing, um, you can send them through to ask.forgecast at gmail.com and they might get answered on the show. Or you can slide into our DMs. We're on Instagram and Facebook under the Forgecast. Check us out. And don't forget to take part in our Forgecast challenge. And if you do, uh, use the hashtag, hashtag Forgecast challenge. And the challenge at the moment is to make a set of tongs Without using any tongs, Ooh, yeah, we got to forge them out, and no tongs, no pliers, no vice grips. You're not allowed to use anything except just holding the bare metal. You're going to make a functional set of tongs. So, uh, right we've already on. had a few already had a few people do it, and they look really great. Some people have sort of sort of cheated, <laughs> like making like barbecue tongs. We're talking about blacksmithing tongs. Proper tongs. <laughs> Proper tongs. Uh, pivot, pivoting tongs, not not bendy mm. tongs. But, you know, A-plus for enthusiasm. Love that. Yeah. Love that. But, yeah, thanks again for coming on to the show, Mike. And, um, of course. Yeah, hope everybody's having a good time at home. Keep those fires lit. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week.
1: Best wishes, everyone. Thanks again for having me.